It's a new day and time for another NCEA podcast. Before we begin, try and guess which diocese our guest is from today. Here are your hints. This archdiocese has 19 schools and approximately 4,500 students. It is one of two dioceses in its state. It is the capital of the state of Oklahoma. Hopefully you all know your capitals. Join me on a virtual tour to Oklahoma City as we visit the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. I'm Laura MacDonald, and this is NCEA Podcast Teacher Editions. My guest today is Lauren Pena, Director of Instructional Technology at Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Welcome, my friends, to Mrs. Pena's Media Center, and thank you, Lauren, for joining us here today. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please. Sure. This is my 16th year in education. Um, I've taught English, Spanish, speech and debate, theater. Um, I was the in-school suspension warden for a while. So I've done lots of things in lots of places. And after getting my principal certificate, I've moved into a more administrative role at my school um, doing instructional technology, but I still get to teach two sections of Spanish three each day. So it's nice to still be in the classroom and not become so far removed that I forget what the day-to-day teacher life is like. Yes, it's always important to remember that as a leader on our on our campuses. That's great. So you'll do a little bit of everything. Um, could you please give us a little bit of background about Bishop McGinnis High School? Yes, we are about to celebrate our 75th year here at McGinnis. Uh, We were founded in 1950 as Central Catholic High, and over the past 75 years, we've added two high schools here in Oklahoma City. Um, We strive to embody the mission of our namesake, Bishop Eugene McGinnis, in being a person for others. That's part of our mission statement, and also following our patron saint, Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati, who was a really big mountain climber and outdoorsman, and his motto was toward the top. So we strive toward the top in everything that we do. That's a great thing to strive for. So I was reading, I want to catch my listeners up a little bit. I was reading Education Week where you were discussing the topic of extrovert and introvert in the classroom. And I thought, wow, this is a subject that has come up again and again on my campuses. And I think our leaders would um, appreciate this information. So you are an instructional technology teacher. Why did you pursue the topic of extrovert and introvert? I actually heard a speaker at the International Society for Technology and Education Conference last summer. Uh, Susan Kane was one of the keynote speakers, and she wrote a book called Quiet, Introverts, uh, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And uh, she really emphasized the superpower of being an introvert. And I thought that really struck a chord with me. So the next summer, I presented a session at ISTE about introverted students because Mrs. Kane followed up her first book with a book just for students. And after reading that book, it changed the way I teach and really emphasized the idea that just because a student is introverted, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them or that they're broken. 
Yeah, I think that's important. So before we get too deep into our conversation, let's talk about how how we're defining introvert and, and, and let's start there. Yes. So a lot of times introversion is seen as uh, kind of a liability, especially in the world of high school, where our more extroverted students tend to be our uh, student council presidents and quarterback of the football team and these really outgoing and exciting people who lead our pep rallies. When our more introverted students are almost in the background but are absolutely as capable and have as much to contribute. So when we think of introvert versus extrovert, an introvert tends to be someone who's a little more introspective, who enjoys spending time with with themselves, uh, who really recharges their batteries by being alone. And, And what about an extrovert? Now, an extrovert, on the other hand, is someone who recharges by being with other people and interacting in loud and more boisterous ways. Not that an introvert doesn't enjoy being with other people. They tend to have more intimate relationships and friendships with a few people, whereas extroverts draw from the energy of lots of people in big, um, often more noisy situations. All right. Thank you. So what specifically did you learn about introverts and extroverts that you feel was beneficial? You said it changed the way you were teaching. So what did you learn? Well, we often see our more introverted students not responding in class and not interacting in the way that we're used to. And I used to perceive that as defiance sometimes, especially in the language classroom where we're trying to get kids to speak Spanish and have authentic conversations. If someone's not talking, that looks like a sign that they're not engaged and they're not participating. Uh, A really big component of a lot of classrooms is that participation grade. You know, maybe we're not always grading written work. We're checking for participation. And our introverted students sometimes don't see the point of saying something if they don't have anything to say. (laughs) Or if they feel like someone has already contributed a thought, why would they repeat that thought again? Correct. We're looking for just say something so I can check off the box and make the tally mark that you spoke during our conversation. (laughs) Susan Kane provides on her website some... Uh, rubrics for monitoring engagement as opposed to participation. Because while an introverted student might not be talking out loud in the way that we're used to seeing participation, it doesn't mean that they're not engaged and they're not learning. So she has some ways to observe what that learning looks like from an an engagement perspective. Um, I think that's interesting. I, I think even our students recognize extroverts sometimes and correlate that with they're really intelligent and, 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 and they can be because they're sharing their thoughts, they're breaking things down, they're active in discussions. And so I think the other students around them perceive, you know, they, they understand if this student is learning and getting it right, they understand that student's great. But what they don't realize is the student next to them might have an even better idea. And hasn't felt the value or hasn't had the opportunity to share. And I, so I think that's important I, 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 that even our students recognize that sometimes the more quieter student, if given the opportunity and the tools and the resources, has, has something wonderful to share. I also think our teachers, you know, as teachers, it's easier to understand when a student understands 
if they're vocal about it. And mm -hmm. so we do, we do need to be very careful. So what are some of the technology tools since you've, you've learned about this and, and you're supporting your teachers in technology that you guys are using over at your school um, to help support and understand and help students demonstrate their proficiency in learning? Well, sometimes it's even as simple as accepting email correspondence from a student, especially one who's feeling anxious about their introversion, not wanting to speak out loud in class. Uh, we, during COVID, we communicated with our kids a lot via email, and then we got back into the classroom and we felt that they should really be able to have a conversation with us face-to-face. -face. That's something that students should be able to do. And that is important, but there's no reason why we can't accept an email from a student, especially as uh, support as they're becoming more extroverted. Allow them to speak to you that way. We can also use things like Google Docs to measure students' understanding. They can have collaborative conversations on a Google Doc. We can also use that for classroom discussions. And there are a lot of websites that allow like blogging where you create a post and then the students respond to one another on that post. So those are out there, but it can also be as simple as starting a Google Doc that's shared that all of the students can comment on and discuss that way. They can make comments on each other's ideas. Of course, we build that community because even if we're just writing instead of speaking out loud, that can still be intimidating for some of our more introverted students but it gives them the opportunity to think before they have to say something out loud. And that's a key marker of our introverted kids and adults is that they want that think time before they have to blurt something out. Whereas our more extroverted students will say whatever is the first thing in their mind. <laughs> uh, and this can also be a good support for them because this gives them a chance to get their thoughts out without blurting it out to the entire class. They can put their thoughts on air quotes paper that's still shared with the entire class. We can do this with Google Slides as well. Sometimes I'll set up a Google Slideshow with 25 slides for each of my students and then number them off and say, okay, you're number three, you're on slide three. Give me your thoughts or do this particular task. Now go look at five other slides and respond to what they said through a comment. Again, building that community so we know we're being kind to one another. We're practicing digital citizenship in our class and making sure that our other classmates feel supported in what they're learning. So it's a strategy that of, that supports both all types of students. They're getting think time um, and they're being able to, they're reading it. And, and as we know, some students are going to do well reading it and hearing it as well. So it's, it's a strategy that's just it works for everybody. And also you're mentioning Google products that a lot of our schools have Google for free. And so we're not having to have any sort of um, expense to using these tools. Um, what else? Well, if you're not a Google school and you have Microsoft products like PowerPoint, it works the same way for that. A lot of those are now in the cloud and are shareable and you can collaborate on them. Uh, there's also a feature of Google Slides that I'm sure is available in PowerPoint as well, where students can type questions as you're presenting. Nice. So if you do your presentations in slides or in PowerPoint, if they're a little nervous about raising their hand, they can ask a question through this kind of back channel communication. And the teacher can then say, oh, I just got a really good question from one of our students. Because sometimes it is a question that everybody had, 
but they were afraid to ask. And so it just takes that one kid having the courage to type the question so the teacher can address it for the whole class. I, I like that. And then, then again, we have a visual representation of the learning. So students that do need to go back and um, review materials, it can be used as a reteach as well. So that Oh, for sure. I hadn't even thought of that part of it, but yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, any other tools you've been using over at your school? Well, our teachers have found that just allowing students that opportunity to collaborate without the pressure of really having to do that big, you know, talk in front of the whole class has made a big difference. And even when we are preparing presentations, being able to share those thoughts on paper first uh, is really helpful. And it's something that you can do with students who are in the classroom or who are at home. I know we had a lot of teachers using kind of a blended model when we had students quarantined over the last two or three years. Right. They could, still, If they were at home and feeling well enough to work, they could still be on that Google Doc with the class having that conversation. And then our teachers also have a visual representation of students participating. So if they couldn't remember the verbal conversation they had, they can review the Google Slides or the Google Doc and go back through and see, oh, yes, he did participate. That's right. So it's another opportunity right. to review. That's great. So now we're going to take a pause for a moment okay. for a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we are going to hear about strategies that Lauren is using to benefit our introvert and extrovert students. Today's episode is sponsored by Frenzy, an NCEA Platinum partner. Frenzy provides a biblically-based social, emotional, and academic development framework for K-8 through classrooms that teaches skills like respect, confidence, problem-solving, communication, and critical thinking that helps students succeed in school and life. We know that relationships with educators are often substantial asset when motivating students to re-engage with learning. Students with positive peer relationships also tend to have better attitudes about school and their academics. For more information on how Frenzy can support your school, please visit frenzy.co. We're back. So Lauren, what strategies have you found beneficial for our introverts and extroverts? Sometimes... Introversion and extroversion is a personality trait, and that's something you're born with. And as we get older, we learn to pull from both sides of it. You know, most functioning adults fall into the ambivert category. We know how to be extroverted when necessary and introverted when necessary because we have those tools and skills with us. Our students need to build those skills. And sometimes introversion really manifests as uh, anxiety. Uh, or is a manifestation of anxiety. And we know that through COVID, we are seeing so much more anxiety from our kids, especially those who were at home for two or three years. The social anxiety of coming back to school is a real thing. Right. For some of them, it's a medical diagnosis and they have their doctor's note and we provide those accommodations. For some kids, it's just a day-to-day -day struggle. And as a Catholic school, it's our job to wrap around and help those kids with every resource that we can. So some strategies that I talked to my teachers about were a 210 rule, which is spending 
two minutes for 10 days in a row talking about something non-content related with a kid to help build that relationship. And I know it sounds like I'm stealing class time and we have a thousand things to cover and a thousand things to do, but really just spending that two minutes saves you so much time in the end. And it can even be between classes during a passing period, just talking to a kid about something that you know they're interested in. And it could be content related. Maybe you're a history teacher and they're really into history, but it's not necessarily the thing that you're learning right now. So being genuine and having those conversations makes a big difference. And if you're worried, I'm not going to remember what these kids say just in an offhand comment, like, how am I supposed to remember this when I have 100 students? I've seen teachers create just a simple Google Doc that has name, interest. And then as soon as they overhear a kid saying, oh, I had rehearsal last night and I'm really tired. Oh, that kid's into theater. So I'm going to put name, theater, and then I'm going to ask them about it next time I see them. Or they play fantasy football and I'm going to ask who their quarterback is this week. We, um, at one of my schools, we actually took the entire school roster, the entire school's rosters and went down the list of our students and every adult on campus that had some sort of relationship with that student noted that on the roster and what we were doing was we were really just looking to see where the students that are maybe don't have a relationship with someone on campus and so we were more intentional about developing relationships making sure that each student on our campus had some sort of relationship with another adult on campus to the point where they may come to them if they need support or help. So it sounds very similar to that. So it, you call it two, 210? Yes, the 210 rule. Um, I've also found that teaching students coping strategies like box breathing can be really helpful to our kids with anxiety because there was a time where a kid just had to say, I'm anxious, can I go to the counselor? And off they go to the counseling office and we might not see them again for the rest of the hour, which kind of adds to their anxiety because now they've missed a full day of class or now they have to walk back into the classroom and everyone's going to look at them. So giving them strategies they can use, like open this app and it's going to count for you. You can do your four breaths or four seconds of breathing in, hold it, four seconds breathing out, hold it. So we can use technology tools for that or you can just teach them four seconds in, hold, four seconds. You know, the just basic strategies to help us get our thoughts back under control before we completely spin out and providing positive experiences to replace any negative experiences they may have had, whether it be talking in front of the class or having even one-on-one discussions with other students. If we've had those scary negative experiences, then that tends to outweigh any um, assignments or things that we have to do in the future. Well, and we know that it's easier to learn when we are relaxed And if we are not relaxed, we probably are not learning. Um, I I share this experience I had as a, I was a teacher at the time, and I was supporting um, other teachers in a language program. And I attended the program alongside my teachers, and I didn't realize that the entire presentation of the day was going to be in Spanish. And my Spanish is very, very limited. And I suddenly turned into a anxious student, an experience I really hadn't had in the past. 
And I was quite worried that I was going to be called on the entire class. So worried that I don't even know what happened that day. I was so focused on keeping my head down, not making eye contact. What am I going to say if she calls on me? And I was still thinking about my answer when she moved on to the next topic. So, you know, it all of these are just strategies. It's not about labeling students. It's about meeting students with where they are and figuring out how we're going to get there. In, in what way are we going to get them to learn? And it's about differentiation. So, yeah, I, I completely understand that an anxious student is not going to be at their best. So these are great. But, you know, some might say we're not holding students accountable when we give them alternatives to speaking in the classroom. I know how I feel about this, but what would you say to this? What I don't want people to walk away with is an idea that students get a free pass and don't have to learn because Correct. at the end of the day, we're here to teach. Like we're here to, at our school, we're here to prepare students for college. We have a thriving AP program, but also a really strong program for our students with learning differences, all in preparation for that college experience. So at some point they will probably have to do a presentation but we also have to remember that we're preparing them for the real world. It's not the real world yet, right? We can Correct. provide them the supports that they need. And it's going to be different for every student. I talk to my students about comfort zone and kind of illustrate it with concentric circles. So we're in our comfort zone, but we need to push out into the growth zone. What we don't want to do is push into the third circle, which is panic. And if we get to panic, we're not going to learn anything. And forcing a kid to do a scary thing over and over again doesn't make it less scary. So instead, we start with something that's comfortable. Maybe if we have to do a presentation, can you come in and do this presentation one-on-one -on -one with just me and then bring a couple of your friends? So you're still presenting to a group, but these are people you feel comfortable with. And then we can move out to a more growth zone. We're going to bring in a couple of other students from class who may not be your best friends, but a small group of supportive students. And then by the end of the year, hopefully we're able to present to the entire class. And this is something that we can keep working on three or four years of high school so that by college, we're more in that ambivert status where we can turn on the extroversion if we need to without that anxiety that just is completely crippling. Absolutely. And I think as teachers, it's also important to remember what is it that we are assessing? What is the mm. learning goal here? And if it is a public speaking class, then yes, we we're, we need to access that information through a speech. But if it's history content or, um, you know, another subject matter, is it important that it be delivered in a in a speech or is there an alternative way to assess their understanding? Right. And I think that the days are gone of in every job that you're going to be in, you will have to speak publicly at some point. Not necessarily. For some people, the only time they're ever going to have to give a presentation is during their job interview. And that's it. So this idea that just because you want to be a computer programmer someday, you will have to give a presentation. Probably not. Honestly, there are plenty of careers where you can sit and code for the rest of your life and never have to give a speech. And that's okay. So yes, we'll let them take their public speaking course, 
but we're not going to force them to do a speech in every single class. That's just silly <laughs> from my and, point of view. <laughs> and I and I feel as though, too, it's important that, especially with our high schoolers, to be authentic with our assignments so that they see value in it. And I, I feel like if a student knows I need to learn this because... I need to do a job interview someday, or I need to be able to do this because I really want to be an engineer. If we can help them see the connection between what they're doing in the classroom and where they want to go, I, I think they will push themselves sometimes a little bit harder when they feel like this is a real value to me. And I don't think, I think we make too many assumptions sometimes. Students have goals and have areas of interest, but they don't necessarily know what it takes to get there. And we can help draw those lines for our students, I believe. Yes, and also really emphasizing to them that if they are introverted, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them because we so value in our society the people who are outgoing and uh, appear to be those extroverted people when there's so much value in being introspective and honestly being able to be by yourself for extended periods of time and sit with your own thoughts. How many great leaders and great artists and authors have been able to just sit quietly with themselves? Researchers have to be by themselves so much. The person who cures cancer may not be the extroverted, out in front of everyone type of a person. So just reminding our kids that they're not broken because they're quiet that's an okay thing to be. Just because you don't want to be the first one to speak during a Socratic seminar doesn't mean there's something <laughs> wrong with you that needs to be fixed. And, and, and on, the, on the other side of that, someone like me that's an extrovert values opportunities where I'm challenged to think before I speak, be alone in, be alone in a subject and not be able to rely on somebody else next to me to draw my energy. There's value in, in both sides. And, and most of the time, our students aren't on one side or the other. They're somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a spectrum. Um, every year, we have a new gospel value that we really focus on for the year. And it's usually a one-word thing. We've done perseverance, compassion. This year is authenticity. Okay. So really being our true selves and not being ashamed of that, like, I'm an introverted person and I'm going to stand up for myself and say, I'm sorry, this is really hard for me and I'm going to need some supports here. Or is there any way that I could possibly present my learning in this way? Could I write a paper for you? And from the teacher's perspective, it's up to us to say, okay, does that authentically assess the content? Then sure, do that. And Lord knows we do not need one more thing on our plates and one more thing to do. So our teachers have really embraced this idea by thinking of it not as another thing to do, but as a lens through which we look at our students. When a student doesn't want to speak up in class, we don't see them immediately as lazy. If a student can't stop blurting out the answer, we don't see them as obnoxious or um, uncontrollably uncontrollable. Instead, we see it as an opportunity to look at them as a personality who can learn to not be quite so, I don't want to say not be extroverted because we want students who are extroverted and we want students who are introverted, 
but who can show their extroversion and introversion in ways that are appropriate for the classroom that allow everyone in the room to learn. Absolutely, because sometimes our students shouting out do take those opportunities to think from those around them that are not. So it's, I think it's important for us to be authentic about it and to have conversations about it because these are things that happen in the workforce. These are, you're going to work by somebody that has different needs than you and we need to be mindful of them and compassionate with others that learn and work differently than we do. I think that's important. And- as part of our mission to be a person for others, we can really tie that into our classroom as well. Like, what are we doing to help these other people learn and to create some quiet spaces and maybe some think time and creating that culture of think time in our classes so that like your example of being in that Spanish speaking uh, session, if you had had the time and you knew, okay, when this person calls on me, they'll give me five to 10 seconds to form my answer and I know that they're going to be supportive and not laugh at me if I ask a question, then that gives me the reassurance and the comfort to know that I feel safe in this classroom and I'm going to be allowed to process before I have to say an answer. And it's that whole universal design for learning. It's necessary for some students, but good for all students. Yes, yes. And and we, we do know that many of our students and all benefit from what's happening next. So they can come into a room prepared to learn and feel safe. And had I known <laughs> that this, it was going to be in Spanish, I would have prepared myself differently. Um, or to be honest, I may not have showed up. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story. Um, so it sounds like this has really made a difference at your school site, having these conversations about um, from another direction, you know, talking Yes, about- and we have the best teachers in the entire world and the most compassionate teachers, but giving them this vocabulary and just the opportunity to say, oh, maybe it's not laziness or maybe it's not whatever that's causing them not to engage the way that I expect them to in class. And so then they're having conversations with their teachers from last year and saying, this is something I'm seeing or vertically, not vertically, but horizontally with the other teachers who have that student in class do you notice this behavior? Oh, okay. What are you doing in your room to support that? Oh, hey, I heard that kid say that they're really into this. Try to work that into your lessons. And it's just such a welcoming and safe atmosphere for our kids. Well, thank you. This has been really interesting to discuss with you. So now my favorite part, I get to ask you some fun, um, we can call them extra credit questions. <laughs> what <laughs> is extra some- credit. What is something you hope your students remember about your class? As much as I should say that I hope they remember some Spanish, I do. I do hope they remember (laughs) Spanish and I hope they remember the culture, but I really hope that they remember feeling valued and feeling that no matter what background they come from or what's happened to them in the past, that they feel like they were the smartest kid in the room when they were in my class. I love that. What is your biggest struggle as a teacher? I think that my biggest struggle is knowing what I didn't know before and worrying about the harm that I caused before I knew about introverted versus extroverted students or before when I just dismissed anxiety as, well, you know, they just got to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get up here and give their speech. Um, (laughs) 
I guess it's just knowing that I'm always learning and always getting better and hoping that the next year I can reach just one more kid. And some resources that you cannot live without. I could not live without my G Suite of Google things. <laughs> you know, I, I use Google Classroom all the time. I use all of the Google Docs and slides, and I can't imagine not having access to them on all of my devices. So <laughs> I use those all the time. And this year, I've started using Canva a lot more. Um, it's kind of a design website, and they have free accounts for teachers. It was kind of intimidating to me last year because I'm not a design person, and so I didn't really know where to start. But this summer, I was able to put some more time into it, and man, it's amazing. It has changed the way that I do presentations, flyers. Uh, I made some new little signs for our media center. So I love Canva.com, free accounts for teachers. So Canva, G Suite, and then you mentioned um, the best-selling book, um, Susan Cain. What was the book called again? Uh, the, it's called quiet, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking is the one for adults. And then there's one for students as well. Um, I think it's called quiet students. And then I also read a book called not light, but fire by Matthew RK. And it is all about building classroom community so that when you have to have tough conversations in class, you've got that built in community where the students are supporting each other and are going to be on each other's sides and helping one another through difficult conversations. Okay, so those are some extra resources for our teachers in their free time. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Do you have any shout outs? <laughs> Do you have any shout outs today? Um, I want to shout out to the awesome faculty of Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School administration. Our staff is amazing. Some of the people who have the best relationships with our kids and the ones who make them feel the most seen are our custodial staff, and they are just amazing. Um, and then also to my family of educators and kiddos. My husband is a Spanish teacher as well, and my daughter attends Catholic school here in Oklahoma City, and my stepson also attends an Episcopal school here in town. So we are a family in all the different places here in Oklahoma City, but it's never a dull moment. And I'm sure there's some great conversations going on around that table with all the educators in the room. <laughs> oh, it's a um, lot of fun. And my daughter is also reminding me of Buster, our dog, who I need to shout out to as well. Well, thank you. Yes, our listeners don't get to see her, but I get to see your daughter who's actually sitting there with you on your lap because that's what teachers moms do they they have their kids with them and they get the joy of being part of everything we do it's definitely a family affair in catholic education i want to thank you it's been a joy speaking with you today and hearing all about what you've been learning and um, thank our ncea podcast listeners and let's not forget the most valuable resource we have is each other do you or someone you know have something worth sharing? Let us know at NCEA. We could be visiting your diocese and introducing you as our next podcast guest. Thank you. Thank you.